Informing America's farmers and ranchers, it's Adams on Agriculture, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. And hello, everyone. Welcome to Adams on Agriculture. Hope you had a good weekend. Thanks for starting your week off with us here at AOA. Lots to talk about. We'll get into the weather with DTM meteorologist Mike Palmerino. A lot of uh, questions, some developing concerns around the country. We'll talk weather in just a bit. Uh, some breaking news on the, the RFS situation. Today, a coalition of biofuel and ag groups have petitioned the U.S. EPA to change its regulations to account for lost volumes of renewable fuel from the uh, number of retroactive small refinery exemptions from the RFS that have been granted by EPA. We'll get the very latest on that from Brian Jennings with the American Coalition for Ethanol. Still a lot of buzz about uh, the announcement last week by the Trump administration about tariffs on Canada, Mexico, and the European Union. We'll get a Canadian perspective today from Sean Haney with Real Agriculture in Canada. But first, we're going to start things off with uh, Sarah Wyant, editor and publisher of AgriPulse Communications. Sarah, thanks for joining us to kick off another week. My pleasure, Mike. Plenty to talk about. Last week, I was in Dallas at the World Meat Congress, and it was amazing the change in the mood there. I mean, the meeting was kind of rolling along, and we had all these countries there, and we were talking about trade and NAFTA and uh, where we could uh, work things out and how we could kind of get through, get a breakthrough maybe, and uh, what are the possibilities. And all of a sudden, the announcement came down from the administration about those tariffs, and it just spread like wildfire through the meeting. And you could just tell a difference. I mean, all of a sudden, things became, uh, you know, uh, more tense and uh, more more concerns, and then you start talking about how those countries are going to retaliate the, their lists of products. It's amazing the, to see the change in mood that that announcement had last week. Oh, I can only imagine that was the equivalent of having some really bad animal show up in the front row of the church pew. You know, it's just a, yeah. a damper on everything that we thought we had going forward after Treasury Secretary Steve Mnuchin went on the Sunday news shows and said that this whole thing was on hold. Uh, And I think it's reflective, Mike, of that kind of team of rivals that you've got trying to garner attention from President Trump within the White House. You have Mnuchin, who is one of the last uh, cabinet secretaries in addition to Secretary Perdue, who really, really wants to advance and expand trade in a way that does not always include tariffs. And then you've got others like Peter Navarro, who's an assistant advisor to the uh, president, and he is very much about imposing these tariffs and making sure that the Chinese know that we're very serious about making tough, very big changes in how they do business. So um, I I think it just throws another whole wet blanket of insecurity on all these markets. Uh, However, I I do think there were some positive signs coming out of the talks this weekend, and and you've probably followed those as well. Yeah, it it is like riding a roller coaster, isn't it? Oh, it it is. You go from they're on hold, no, they're back on again, and then um, when we sent uh, Secretary of Commerce Wilbur Ross to China over the weekend, he was accompanied by USDA Undersecretary Ted McKinney and USTR's ag negotiator, Greg Dowd. And some of the best news was that there was no announcement coming out of that. So there wasn't an announcement that anything went wrong. Um, The Chinese issued an announcement basically saying that 
we're still willing to open up our markets further, but if these sanctions go in place, these tariffs go in place, uh, then all deals are off. Uh, but it was it was a little bit more positive uh, than negative, and the fact that the U.S. team didn't come back saying anything in an official statement that was useful, I think means that there's still some good discussions underway. But on after the president's back to talking about pulling out and would rather have uh, uh, bilateral deals than one uh, – deal with three countries so um, that seems to be up in the air again it is and i think that's why you've seen more and more farm organization leaders saying come on you know this is our livelihood this is the way that we are able to make money by exporting our products Uh, we're not seeing huge demand growth in the u.s it's all outside of our borders and so let's make sure we expand trade not look for ways that we can cut ourselves off with some of our major trading partners because they will find other alternatives. Meanwhile, on the farm bill, compared to the House side, it it seems like all's uh, coming up roses on the uh, the Senate side. Now, I know it's not that easy, and there's going to be disagreements, but in comparison, the farm bill process seems to be going much smoother on the Senate side, and we're waiting for that bill to be released. That's true. And, you know, the word that we heard in the last couple weeks was June 6th, Uh, uh, most of our sources think that's a little too optimistic that it's more likely that we'll see a release maybe the bill release later this week but um, committee action the following week but we'll know a little bit more later today and uh, you've got two seasoned veterans uh, Pat Roberts of course chairman of the Senate Ag Committee was also chairman of the House Ag Committee at one time and so he understands the importance of getting a bipartisan deal that can get enough votes in the Senate and is working very closely with his ranking member, Debbie Stabenow. So I think it will be much less contentious. Not without challenges, though, on the Senate floor for crop insurance, for commodity programs, for payment limits. And there will be some Democrats that will also want to go a little farther than perhaps uh, Senator Stabenow does on, on a few things. So um, it's still going to require a very delicate balancing act. Yeah, there'll be some battles on the Senate floor, no doubt. But and but and for all the attention and all the wrangling on the House side, Sarah, don't we feel the final bill is going to be much closer, looking much closer what the Senate bill is than the House, isn't it? Well, by the time we get through conference, if we get through conference uh, before the current bill expires, it's certainly much more likely to look like the Senate version. Uh, whether there could be some tightening on the SNAP uh, requirements that could still get some Democratic votes remains to be seen. But, um, you know, at the end of the day, I think that uh, you're, you're spot on with that assessment. And meanwhile, and we're going to have more on this with Brian Jennings in a bit, this, this battle between the renewable fuels industry and EPA looks like it's escalating. I mean, the, the, uh, the renewable fuels industry is really trying to uh, ratchet up the pressure on uh, Scott Pruitt and EPA and get some things changed. Yeah, they are, and uh, they, as you mentioned earlier, they've uh, gone back to EPA and petitioned the agency to change the regulation. I think what happened, though, is that with all these meetings that were in the White House, both sides just kept going back and going back, and if they could have sealed a deal like two meetings ago, they might have gotten E15 year-round and not had these other uh, things going on with export rent. But the announcement that we're expecting today is going to give a little bit to the oil industry and a little bit to the uh, ethanol industry in terms of E15 and won't probably do a whole lot to address what's been happening at EPA with these retroactive waivers. Cutting $1 billion from the renewable fuel obligations, a billion gallons over 2016 to 2017, 
but it's hard for people to see how we're really keeping to the statute of the RFS if we keep giving out these waivers. Yeah, you kind of expect something from the White House to kind of, uh, you know, touch around the edges, but not really address the core issue, and that's what uh, these groups are trying to to get some action on. So, well, interesting times. Be another uh, busy week ahead, as always. Thanks, Sarah. You're welcome, Mike. Stay tuned. It's another roller coaster ride week. (laughs) That's right. Buckle up the seatbelts. That's Sarah Wyatt, the editor and publisher of AgriPulse Communications. Coming up next, complete look at the weather around the country. DTM meteorologist Mike Palmerino with us today. Who's going to get rain? Who's not this week ahead? What about the temperatures? We'll get into all that next here on AOA Adams on Agriculture. The mighty Prosoro. King of fungicides. Its fast action and long residual make it the keeper of grain quality and yield. The hammer of head and leaf diseases. The number one reducer of scab. When your goal is greater wheat quality and higher yield, use Prosoro fungicide, and the crown of higher profit will be yours. Learn more at prosoro.us. Always read and follow label instructions. A lot can happen in six seconds. A rodeo ride, a dramatic basketball win, and the world record holder can solve a Rubik's Cube. Six seconds is how long it takes for an 18-wheeler traveling at a safe speed to come to a complete stop. And in those six seconds, that truck will travel the length of two football fields. So please, give them room. Never cut in front of a large truck for any reason. Our roads, our safety. Learn more at sharetheroadsafely.gov. All right, crew, let's get her dug. Honey, you want to give me a hand? I'm planting that tree, remember? No matter how large or small your digging project may be, no matter how urban or rural, you must always call 811 before any digging project. 811 is our national one-call number, alerting your local utility companies to come out and mark any lines they have near your dig site. You must call 811 at least two to three business days before any digging project so you can avoid hitting our essential buried utilities. This includes natural gas and petroleum pipelines, electric, communication cables, and water and sewer lines. So before you do this or this, make sure you do this. For digging projects big or small, make the call to 811 brought to you by Common Ground Alliance. I'm here to tell you that your options for getting out of debt have never been better. How do I know? Because I'm Howard Dvorkin, the founder of Consolidated Credit. For nearly two decades, we've helped over five million people just like you. And every time we help someone, they all say the same thing. Why didn't I call sooner? If you owe too much money on your credit cards and you feel that you'll never be able to pay it off, Don't wait. Simply pick up the phone and find out what our Freedom Quest program can do for you. Reducing your payments by up to 50% is just the beginning, but you have to take the first step. When credit card debt is the problem, we're the solution. Call Consolidated Credit now. As soon as you call, 
the hard part is over. Call Consolidated Credit now. 1-800-489-7204. 1-800-489-7204. That's 1-800-489-7204. 5701 Sunrise Boulevard, Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Licensed debt management service provider. Vermont and New York Banking Departments. Maryland 49, Oregon DMA 0031. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. All right, here we are into the first full week of June. Let's check the weather with DTM meteorologist Mike Palmerino. Mike, who's going to be happy this week? Well, I think the vast majority of producers are going to be happy, Mike. It, it looks like an outstanding week of uh, weather coming up, just sort of carrying on from last week in the incredible uh, crop ratings that we saw for corn, some of the initial ratings, the highest uh, on record going back to the mid-80s. And it looks like another repeat this week. We had some very beneficial rain over the weekend across much of the uh, Midwest and Northern Plains, about three-tenths to one-and-a-half inches. And it looks like we're going to get back into showers and thunderstorms again uh, beginning about Wednesday and that's going to carry us right into the weekend, and it looks like about another three-tenths to one-and-a-half inches. Uh, so, you know, we're not going to be depleting soil moisture. Temperatures will be at or above normal, but in the absence of, uh, you know, any real dryness setting in, this is just going to continue to be outstanding growing weather. Okay, let's uh, let's kind of break it down. Let's, uh, let's look out in the plains where it has been so dry. Uh, what can they expect this week? Yeah, that's a bit of a problem area. If you're looking at Kansas, Oklahoma, uh, and um, Texas, that area in there is more or less under a ridge aloft. So they're not going to see a lot of moisture. Uh, for the most part, they will be on the dry side, maybe some scattered light to moderate showers about Thursday, but uh, que- no, no question in there. They're going to be looking at uh, hot weather, and fairly dry weather, which, you know, certainly will not be conducive to good corn and bean development up in there. But from what I'm hearing, a lot of acreage is shifting to cotton, and this could be nearly ideal cotton weather in uh, Kansas and Oklahoma. Corn Belt? Corn Belt looks outstanding. Uh, Again, I think that uh, we start out on the dry side uh, early this week. Uh, Western Corn Belt gets back into showers and thunderstorms starting on Wednesday. Eastern Corn Belt starting on Thursday, and it continues uh, through Saturday in the west. It won't be raining all the time, but there will be daily episodes of showers, and it'll continue through Sunday in the east. And I think when all is said and done, we're talking about three-tenths to one-and-a-half inches belt-wide. Temperatures uh, pretty much on the mild side, uh, which should be good growing weather, but you know, you will see many areas, certainly in the 80s, and some of the southwest corner of the belt as you get down closer to the southern plains could get into the low to mid 90s northern tier northern tier looks good um they've had uh good rains over the weekend about three tenths to one and a half inches across that northern plains area they are going to get back into some showers and thunderstorms it looks like late tuesday early wednesday about three tenths to one and a half inches and then uh, they should dry out for the end of the week, and then another round of showers comes in towards Friday, maybe quarter to three-quarters of an inch, 
And again, temperatures on the warm side, uh, not a lot of cool weather with this pattern. Uh, many areas in the 80s uh, throughout the week. But again, with, without the, uh, you know, the absence of, uh, of a persistently drier pattern, the warm temperatures uh, will not be that big of a factor because we're going to be maintaining soil moisture. Last week, when we were talking with Bryce, he was he was he was not throwing up red flags and and uh, warnings, but he was just mentioning growing concerns about some dry conditions this summer uh, in many of the growing areas. Uh, what's the latest on that as you look ahead to summer, Mike? Well, it's really all about the strength of the ridge um, in the subtropics, and uh, you know we. It strengthened a bit last week. Uh, we did see some pretty hot weather, and, and I know that some of the heat that we saw in parts of eastern Nebraska last week were similar in terms of a time frame to what they had back in 2012 uh, when we did certainly have our last severe drought. Uh, but there are some differences, too, in that uh, soil moisture profiles in general across the Midwest are, are much better than they were in uh, 2012, and I, I don't think all of that heat was necessarily due to this ridging. I think some of it was due to the strength of the jet stream, which continues to flow uh, just to the north of the Midwest. And you know, at this point, Mike, you know, anything can happen. But I think the most likely scenario is is that the ridge remains on the moderate side across the southern tier of states. Um, the jet stream remains rather strong across the northern tier of states and on up into Canada, and you just continue to waver this boundary zone between the hotter weather to the south and the cooler air to the north just is going to continue to waver back and forth across the Midwest, you know, at least through the month of June and, uh, and potentially longer. So, you know, that is in my opinion, not really a recipe for any extreme problems. But I would certainly keep an eye on the southwest corner of the belt. You know, I think if you're looking south and west of the Missouri River, there's some potential there, but that would be the extent of anything that would be at all concerning at this point. We're talking with DTM meteorologist Mike Palmerino. Mike, we've had some severe weather activity. Uh, do you expect uh, to be a lot this year or, or about average, or what are you expecting this year? Well, I could see it being a fair amount, um, Mike, because of the fact that we have such a, uh, a dynamic weather pattern going on with that strong jet stream, a lot of energy, and uh, the temperature contrast, which should increase as we go further into summer. So, yeah, I think that, you know, you, you, you're going to see a lessening, certainly, of the uh, severe weather in the southern tier. I think we're seeing that now. But I could certainly see the northern tier, you know, along and north of Interstate 80, um, having significant amounts of severe weather, um, you know, right on through the first half of summer based on this overall pattern. All right, let's uh, take a look at uh, South America. What's happening down there? Well, it's kind of winding down. You know, we are now into early winter there. And uh, for the most part, the second crop corn in Brazil is pretty much a done deal. They did get hurt uh, due to the sharp cutoff in the, uh, in the rainy season there. 
and um, at this point they're now just into harvesting a, uh, a reduced crop in there, and in this time of the year it's basically dry, so there will not be any harvest issues. And then in Argentina, uh, where they did get really hit badly by drought this year and then got hit with a lot of rain uh, at the end of the growing season to impact the harvest, at this point now, too, they are in a seasonally cooler and drier weather pattern in there, so they should be able to uh, finish off the rest of the uh, harvest uh, without much concern. All right, Mike, I'd say overall the tone seems uh, more positive this week than uh, than last. It shows how things can change, but we are into June, and, and even if things are looking good, uh, we're just kind of conditioned to be concerned about when that next rain is coming uh, this time of year. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, clearly there's always uncertainty. We're still very early in the growing season. But I think at this point, you know, at least an early call for the beginning of the growing season looks quite positive. You know, could something change down the road in July and August? Uh, um, Absolutely. But I think June's going to be a a pretty good month. Yeah, because last week we were having some uh, references to 2012 and not saying it was going to be a repeat of 2012, just some references. And anytime you're bringing 2012 into the conversation, it makes people nervous. Absolutely. That's the last dog that bit us was not, was 2012 when we had a severe drought. And uh, absolutely that's, you know, that's still fresh in our minds, even though it's uh, uh, over five years ago now. Yeah. Well, and, And we've had these pockets of, uh, like, Maryland getting hit with all that flooding. Uh, We still have those pockets of extremes, don't we? We do. Um, But I would say that, you know, again, in my opinion, that the the extremes of the weather that we have seen in the last few years have been more problematic for lives and property than they have for agriculture. I think that if you had a look at both sides of the – equation here that lives and property have clearly been impacted more by some of these weather extremes than agriculture has. I, you could make a case that agriculture has actually to some degree benefited over the last few years from some of this extreme weather. Hmm, interesting. All right. Mike, thanks a lot for being with us this week. You're welcome. Take care. Mike Pomerino, meteorologist for DTN. All right, coming up next, as we mentioned earlier, a coalition of biofuel and ag groups have petitioned EPA to change its regulations to account for lost volumes of renewable fuel resulting from those retroactive small refinery exemptions to the RFS. This battle continues. We'll get the very latest from the CEO of the American Coalition for Ethanol. Brian Jennings joins us next here on AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Stay with us. We paid less for our Craftmatic today than we did 20 years ago. If you're still searching for the perfect solution to a good night's sleep, call now for prices and free information on today's Craftmatic adjustable beds. And then decide when you see how little they cost. Rated number one by consumers nationwide on ConsumerAffairs.com. Craftmatic beds come in all mattress types, including cool gel memory foam for up to 50% less than today's leading memory foam brand. Enjoy temporary relief of low back pain, poor circulation, nighttime heartburn, mild arthritis. You'll sleep better in a Craftmatic adjustable 
comfortable bed. So if you're still searching for the perfect solution to a good night's sleep, call now for prices and information. And then decide when you see how little they cost. Discover Craftmatic for less, up to 50% less than today's leading memory foam brand. Call 1-800-318-7903. That's 1-800-318-7903. 1-800-318-7903. Call now. Time for Market Check here on Adams on Agriculture. I'm Rusty Halverson from the American Ag Network. President Trump is defending his tough trade negotiation, negotiations with China, Canada, and Mexico, saying that U.S. farmers have been treated unfairly. The president says on Twitter that by the time he finishes his trade negotiations, that will change and big trade barriers will finally be broken. Rain and soybean futures starting the week on the defensive after the U.S. and China failed to make significant progress at a recent round of trade talks over the weekend. Chinese officials saying they would not abide by a deal to import more farm goods if the U.S. moved ahead with planned tariffs on $50 billion worth of its goods. Separately, USDA saying that private exporters sold 114,300 metric tons of soybeans to Mexico for 2018-19, but the market's not doing much with that news. Weather-wise, a favorable weather pattern for developing corn and soybeans is expected in the Midwest. That should continue during the next 7 to 10 days. In the futures market, an hour into the trading day, we are 16 to 17 and a fraction lower in soybeans. July contract down 17 and a quarter at 10.04. July corn down 8 and three quarters at 3.82 and three quarters of a cent. For the wheat futures, trending 16 to 17 cents lower in Kansas City, 14 to 15 lower in Chicago, 6 to 7 cents lower in Minneapolis spring wheat. For livestock at the Merck and live cattle futures, we are 5 to 70 cents lower. Feeder cattle, 65 to 90 cents lower. Activity in cash cattle country today expected to be limited to the distribution of new show lists. Lean hog futures trending near unchanged nearby contracts. Technology companies and banks leading stocks higher. The Dow up 182, NASDAQ up 8, crude oil down 54. I'm Rusty Halverson for the American Ag Network. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now back to Mike Adams. And welcome back. Let's get the very latest on this ongoing uh, struggle between the renewable fuels industry and the EPA. Joining us is the CEO of the American Coalition for Ethanol, Brian Jennings. Brian, thanks for being with us. Hey, good morning, Mike. Thank you for having me. Okay, so ACE is part of a coalition of uh, biofuel and ag groups petitioning EPA to change its regulations to account for these lost volumes of renewable fuel because of the uh, these waivers that they've been granting, right? Tell us more about this petition. That's right, Mike. So this morning we filed uh, a lawsuit um, in the D.C. Circuit, so in the nation's capital, along with a petition to EPA really asking that the agency go back to the rule of law when it comes to these small refinery exemptions. Um, This differs from the lawsuit we filed a week ago, Mike. The lawsuit we filed last week was in the Tenth Circuit over in Denver, and it challenged three very specific small refinery waivers which were given to CVR Energy owned by Carl Icahn and the Holly Frontier. Today, What we are saying to EPA in the court is that, in general, EPA is outside of the law 
handling all of these waivers. And so we're asking that um, EPA reverse course, uh, quit doing these in a retroactive, secret way, and do what the law says, which is reallocate those volumes. Um, Mike, if you run a small refinery and you prove to EPA that complying with the RFS would be a disproportionate economic hardship on your refinery, and they give you a waiver based on that, they're supposed to give require your gallons on me, meaning the, the total volume stays the same, and they have not been doing that. If we'd get an announcement uh, from the White House or from EPA that they are going to make this change, would that would you drop the lawsuits at that point, or do you ha- I'm sure you'd want to wait and see it actually happen. You'd want more action than just words, but uh, could that bring an end to this if, if that were to occur? possible i suppose mike i'm not i'm we're i know we expect an announcement today on on a variety of things from the white house so it's going to be a big day for ethanol but we're not necessarily expecting good news on that front but to go down that hypothetical if epa were to say today we are reversing course we are no longer going to grant these uh in the dark of night in a retroactive way when we grant them they're going to be justified and we're going to reallocate gallons I think this particular lawsuit that we filed in in the D.C. Circuit, yes, could um, go away. And, and we've actually asked the court to sit on it for a while um, to see if we can work things out with the agency. So that's, that's part of sort of the legal maneuvering that's going mm-hmm. on today, yes. Of course, it's a big if because we've seen no indication so far from this EPA that they're going to change course. Well, that's just it. And I, and I, I hate to be uh, to start the week you know, kind of a pessimist, but we, we have to look at actions speak louder than words, right? And EPA and the administration have said some very nice things about the RFS, but the actions that the administrator Pruitt particularly has taken um, really undermine those words. And so we're left with no other choice than to use the third branch of government like we have a right to and try to make sure that the rule of law is is what rules over over these proceedings. So you've got the double whammy right now. Uh, you've got these exemptions to the RFS still going on. Plus, now it's June. We've lost E15. That's just right. And um, you know, every day that goes by, um, gas prices keep ticking higher in certain parts of the country. And the one fuel that ninety percent of the cars out there are approved to use that would save folks a little bit of money um, is not supposed to be sold to them um, this time of year. And so, you know, we're hopeful that there may be some news on that front today. There is this rumor, right, that the White House is going to release this memo today that outlines what they want to do with uh, E15 use in the summer and what they might do with export RINs and maybe news on this small refinery front. Um, but but we're waiting, and 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 yeah, consumers, re- retailers want to sell this fuel to consumers, and consumers are confused why it was available last week and it may not be available today. And then there's the the matter of what you have lost uh, through these waivers, uh, what the industry has lost, and whether or not you can get that back in some way. And what we've lost so far is more than 1.5 billion gallons in terms of ethanol demand over the course of the 
2015, 2016, and 2017 small refinery exemptions which have been granted. There could be more in the pipeline, um, Mike, as you well know. It seems like every other week there's a new wrinkle to the story and we learn more. Um, late last week, I think after you and I probably spoke, it was reported Holly Frontier and Sinclair, um, which were denied small refinery exemptions way back in 2014 and 2015. Scott Pruitt decided to issue them some 2018 vintage RINs to make up for that. And so we know at least 1.5 billion gallons of demand destruction has occurred. That, that puts pressure on the RIN market. That drives RIN prices down. That makes it less attractive to retailers to offer E15 and, and E30 and E85. That prevents consumers from having access to some of those fuels. And so this really trickles down from the ethanol industry to farmers and to consumers. We're talking with Brian Jennings, CEO of the American Coalition for Ethanol. Brian, I'm interested to get your take on this. Um, I, I always think that a head of an agency like EPA, uh, while given leeway by his boss, the president, uh, still he's accountable to the, to his boss, who is the president of the United States. Uh, so even if Scott Pruitt has been acting on his own on these waivers, by now, with the president keep saying he supports the RFS, by now don't you have to say, okay, why... President Trump, haven't you stepped in and stopped your EPA administrator from doing this? I mean, it seems to me some responsibility for this has to shift to the White House at some point. I could not agree with you more. I think that is exactly right. The White House is paying attention. They know what's going on. They've seen the headlines. I mean, beyond the ethical um, problems that Administrator Pruitt is dealing with, the, these small refinery exemptions have been in the news we have reached out directly to the White House. Members of Congress have reached out directly to the White House. Um, President Trump is aware of the actions that his EPA administrator has taken. And I think you're right. Until and unless the president steps in and says, you need to follow the rule of law and help make good on the promises that I've made, um, we've got a big problem. Yeah, because if he keeps saying he supports the RFS and his EPA continues to grant these waivers, then basically those words become more and more hollow all the time. So we need to see some action for sure. Well, let's kind of end this on a more positive note, Brian. It seems like there are countries around the world that we have great opportunity to sell more ethanol to. There really are. It's, it's remarkable how we, we struggle here at home at times to sell more E15 and E85 and break break through the blend wall, while countries all around the world, as you indicated, are knocking on our door and they want our product and they want U.S. ethanol because it's low cost, they want U.S. ethanol because it's high octane, and that combination is really advantageous for, for countries because they're looking to reduce greenhouse gas emissions, they're looking to save their consumers money. Um, you know, I know there's a lot of talk about NAFTA these days. Canada, over the course of the last three to four years, has reliably been our top customer. Last year, the country of Brazil, even though they Im imposed a tariff rate quota on our, on our imports, Mike, they were the leading importer of U.S. ethanol. 
Um, we're sending ethanol to the Middle East. Asia is, is interested in more and more ethanol. Japan is going to be opening its doors. We believe China, um, despite some, you know, some issues we're clearly dealing with right now with China, is a, is a long-term game-changing opportunity. And so exports have been a very bright spot for our industry, and frankly, it's really led the way in terms of making sure that, that, that my member companies can, can be profitable and distribute dividends to their shareholders. Yeah, one of the great ironies, is these other countries see the value of our ethanol, and we have trouble convincing some people in this country of those same things. I mean, it's, it, it shouldn't be that way, but that's, that's kind of the reality of it. Uh, we have it right here, and people take it for granted or overlook it or, or criticize it, and all these other countries are saying, you know, we see the benefits of it. That's exactly right. It's a big head scratcher. Um, we do struggle here at times to convince oil companies or retailers or government officials that our fuel is good enough and it's economical and it should be used um, and others want it. An example, uh, in Japan, the Japanese officials decided to do an, an updated life cycle greenhouse gas emissions um, calculation for U.S. corn ethanol. And they give us a better score um, over there in Japan than the U.S. EPA does here in the United States. That's, wow. that, that's just remarkable. It really is. Brian, as always, thank you. We'll stay in touch as this, uh, this continues on. We'll see what the, the big announcement is and uh, where we go from here. Thanks so much. Thanks, Mike. Take care. Brian Jennings, CEO of the American Coalition for Ethanol, an ongoing saga here between the renewable fuels industry and ag groups. Uh, and uh, EPA. All right, so we go back to the uh, tariff announcement uh, last week uh, from the administration. Uh, tariffs of steel and aluminum for Canada and Mexico and the European Union, those countries reacting to that. How's it playing in Canada? We're going to talk with Sean Haney from Real Agriculture to get a Canadian perspective on where we're at with uh, the NAFTA talks. That's next on AOA Adams on Agriculture. Do you need a car? Been shopping only to be turned down because of bad credit, low credit, no credit, bankruptcy, or divorce? Guess what? Today's your lucky day. Because now you can buy a car, truck, or SUV, just about any vehicle. It's true. Bad credit doesn't matter. No credit doesn't matter. Bankruptcy or divorce, it just doesn't matter. As a matter of fact, your job is your ticket to your new vehicle. We're Auto Credit Express, and we've helped thousands of people just like you. Antonio H. told us, great company, got me connected, and the day I went in, I drove off in the car I wanted. 100% worth your time. Need a car? Get started now and drive off as early as today. Just go to 11ignoremyscore.com right now. That's www.11ignoremyscore.com. Auto financing the easy way. 11ignoremyscore.com. Get started today. Auto financing the easy way. What if you had a medical emergency away from home? What you need is mobile help. America's premier mobile medical alert system. Most systems only work at home, but with mobile help you get help outside the home with coverage nationwide on one of the largest cellular networks at the press of a button i press the button and lo and behold the emergency came within minutes mobile help did save my life no question about that call mobile help now for a free color brochure we'll send you everything you need including the basic
station, the patented mobile device, the waterproof pendant and wrist button. You can also add the fall button that automatically detects falls and signals help. Call today and receive a risk-free 30-day trial. There's no equipment to buy and no long-term contract. For a limited time, you'll also receive a free emergency key box with your plan purchase. Remember, mobile help keeps you safe coast to coast. Call 800-930-6137 now for your free mobile help brochure. That's 800-930-6137. Again, 800-930-6137. Hello, I'm Mike Lindell, the inventor of my pillow. And like all of you out there, I had problems sleeping. Pillows would go flat. I would flip-flop all night long. I'd wake up with a sore neck or maybe a headache, or I'd feel like I needed a nap even though I slept eight hours. Well, when I invented my pillow, I wanted it so you could adjust the patented fill to give you the exact support you need as an individual, regardless of sleep position. My pillow will get you into that deep REM sleep faster, and you will stay there longer. It's not how much time we spend in bed. It's how much of that quality sleep we get. I do all my own manufacturing in my home state of Minnesota with a 10-year warranty, and you can wash and dry my pillow. And here's my best offer ever. Get four my pillows for the price of one. That's right. Get four my pillows, two premium pillows and two travel pillows for the price of one. Order my pillow at 800-871-7280 and use promo code FARM11. Get four my pillows for the price of one. Call 800-871-7280 and use promo code FARM11. Go to MyPillow.com and at checkout, use promo code FARM11. All right, guys, we're ready for our four-season sunroom, and Daddy's going to get a rec room with refreshments. Oh, no, we'll be sleeping under the stars. Mom, what about the one with, you know, the fun? Nice try, little bro. It's a gym, my gym. Hey, Grandma's getting her four seasons garden room, weather tight and still like being outdoors. Maybe a living room. Oh, no, wait, a family hub. Yeah. No matter what the budget, the season, or the climate, Four Seasons Sunrooms let you and your family enjoy the outdoors inside. Call now to hear more about these great offers from the premier manufacturer of sunrooms since 1975. More reasons for four seasons now. To find out more, call toll-free 800-988-4477. That's 800-988-4477. Call 800-988-4477 today. The mighty Prosoro, king of fungicides. Its fast action and long residual make it the keeper of grain quality and yield. The hammer of head and leaf diseases. The number one reducer of scab. When your goal is greater wheat quality and higher yield, use Prosoro fungicide, and the crown of higher profit will be yours. Learn more at prosoro.us. Always read and follow legal instructions. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture from the American Ag Network. We're excited to explore the topics that make a difference to agriculture. The Farm Bill, immigration reform, reducing regulations, trade, new technology, as well as infrastructure and health care. Through the year, Adams on Agriculture will originate on location from several major national meetings and events. Subscribe to the show's podcast at AmericanAgNetwork.com. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture from the American Ag Network. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now back to Mike Adams. All right, let's uh, talk a little bit more about where we're at with NAFTA. We'll get a Canadian perspective now from Sean Haney with Real Agriculture. Hi, Sean. How are you? Hey, Mike. I'm uh, I'm doing great this morning, uh, contrary to how things look on the trade front. 
Wow, yeah. So let's look at the comments of Canadian Prime Minister Trudeau over the weekend, indicating that Canada was willing to provide more dairy market access as part of a final NAFTA deal, but adding that the renegotiation discussions have stalled because of the United States' insistence on a five-year sunset review mechanism that uh, Canada and Mexico find uh, um, you know, unreasonable. They don't want any part of that. So is that a deal breaker at this point? Well, Canada has been very firm on this one, Mike, going back to the fall time, that that's a real non-starter. That makes really no business sense, period. I guess on, on, on one level, it's, you know, why would you invest in the NAFTA partner countries if there's a threat that the deal is going to uh, expire in five years? So there's that. So it's sort of a, a runaround for the U.S. to not have uh, countries invest in Mexico or Canada while still doing trade with the United States. And the other part of it, the other part of it too, is based on how difficult this whole process has been, why would we ever want to try to do this again in five years? That's the part that I, I, I think has really, really uh, caught the eye of a, a lot of the Canadian negotiators. Now, when he says that you're more uh willing to grant some access on certain ag products like dairy any uh details on that just uh, how much more access that could be no you know and, and he, when he was on meet the press yesterday with chuck todd uh you know he, it seemed that he was he was a little bit elusive on on some of those things and, and saying you know i think there's an understanding there's going to have to be some sort of compromise there hasn't been any sort of number really floated publicly. There, there is speculation that dairy is one of the things that has already been sort of agreed to. I, I have not really had that confirmed. Uh, I think a lot of us have really assumed that it's going to be close to the TPP number that was like three and a quarter. That would make the most sense. But once again, that's like absolute pure speculation based on common sense. And like the Prime Minister said last week, common sense really hasn't been that prevalent in all of these talks. And, of course, now we add on the tariffs again, uh, steel and aluminum. And uh, what impact do you see those having on these talks? Well, that really depends on who you talk to. You know, Canada, since this whole 232 national security issue came up, Canada has very, very much separated the two and said, listen, just like with aerospace and the Bombardier-Boeing fight, that is that, and NAFTA is this. And those two things are different. And we can do both at the same, negotiate both at the same time. It has been President Trump and Wilbur Ross that have kind of crossed those two continually. But then on the weekend I saw on Fox Business, Peter Navarro was doing an interview, and he said that the, issue, the two issues are totally separate. And, and so that, once again, it's just there's a lot of confusion about what's actually really going on here. Canada, uh, of course, last Thursday announced that they're going to have the reciprocal tariffs against the United States, uh, $16.6 billion. It is the largest uh, trade response uh, with tariffs in the post-war era for Canada. So uh, a, firmly, uh, a pretty firm response from, from the Canadian side. There was a lot of pressure on the left and the right for, for Prime Minister Trudeau to act very, very firmly. And he really took uh, pretty good offense in that press conference and in some of the media, including uh, Meet the Press that he did yesterday, talking about how Canada, there's a lot of, there's some offense taken here, that Canada, uh, from a NATO perspective, world, the world wars, v 
Vietnam, 9-11, Canada has been right alongside the United States uh, defending its, its beliefs. And now to say that Canada is a national security threat to the United States really does uh, sort of strike a, a really strong emotional response from the Canadian side. That list of products that you would retaliate against, uh, it was interesting. I mean, pretty diverse list. We're talking uh, dishwasher uh, detergent, toilet paper. I mean, it was quite a list. <laughs> yeah, well, it's interesting. I had uh, on, on my show on Friday, I had Jerry Ritz, who's a former uh, mm-hmm. agriculture minister for, for Canada. And that list to Jerry and to myself looks very, very similar to the list that the Canada that Canada put forward when we were going through the whole cool negotiation. And, uh, you know, there's stuff like mattresses, of course, whiskey, that, you know, that, the bourbon's going after Kentucky. We had, uh, we had cucumbers that was going after Wisconsin, Paul Ryan, of course. So it's a very targeted list, going after certain products from certain states to make sure it's getting the attention of people in Congress. Because you've got to remember, from the very beginning here, Canada's strategy has been to lobby lawmakers to make sure that they're on Canada's side, depending on what happens with the president. Now we've reached a point in these talks where I think Canada's going to be calling in some of those favors and getting some of those congressional lawmakers to lobby this White House to say, I think you need to take a sober second look at this. Because now President Trump's back to talking more about uh, he'd rather have one-on-one deals rather than three countries in a deal. Uh, hard to tell is that more of his posturing and his uh, public negotiating or, or if he's really serious about that again. Yeah, and, and once again, what's been interesting is Canada and Mexico's ability to kind of keep their unofficial coalition. Really, from the beginning, this, these NAFTA talks have been a bilateral talk in a, in a multilateral framework. Canada and Mexico have really, really been partners in the in these negotiations. They they do disagree on a few things, but you know from the from President Trump's standpoint, I think you know trying to divide and conquer is probably a very very good strategy. It it allows them to it allows the U.S. to really pinpoint and hammer on some of these specific country to country issues and get out of the the sort of the three way triangle that we're on. But from Canada and Mexico standpoint, they're, they're going to fight hard against that because that strategy is very, very transparent. Yeah, I guess we just stay tuned, right? Every day is kind of a takes us a different direction on some of this, but we're still oh. trying to figure out how we get to the, to the end and everyone's happy, and uh, uh, it looks more elusive all the time, it seems. Sean, yes. thanks for your perspective. Okay, yes. thanks a lot, Mike. Appreciate you having me. Take care. We'll be back in touch. Sean Haney from Real Agriculture. Uh, in uh, Canada. He does a great job covering uh, agriculture um, in general and always interesting to get the Canadian perspective on these issues. Well, so a lot happening uh, with the RFS, uh, with trade. Uh, we still got the farm bill out there. A lot of these issues continue on and we'll keep you up to date. Hope you'll tune in again tomorrow right here on AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Have a great day, everyone. Mm-hmm.